All right. Good morning. Hey, I want to comment on um, one thing that I, I think when things become tradition, um, sometimes we stop recognizing it for what they're for. But, um, you know, at the end of, of most services, we have uh, an invitation, a time of invitation for, for people to come and respond in some way, whether it's here or in your seats or, or whatever. The assumption is that what, what's gone on between you and God's spirit during a service is going to require some response on your part and on our part. And so that's, that's part of what we, um, we have this for. And I think sometimes we forget, and what ends up happening is we don't think about how we need to be responding until the last couple of minutes of the service, and then there's not time to really respond. And so um, to really get that in our brains and, and adjust what needs to be there. And so I would really encourage you, start the process of engaging with the invitation during the meet and greet. I mean, during, when you show up, certainly during the when we're singing and, and when we're uh, worshiping in those ways together and then during the teaching, I hope that you're already, your heart is already there. Your heart is already thinking about how this time is going to end and what your response needs to be. Um, many of you have probably noticed, many of, you, many of us at different times in our lives, we notice that our, our Christianity doesn't seem to last long past Sunday morning. Um, it, it doesn't seem to continue to be uh, surviving much past that. We find ourselves losing our temper or lying, or falling back into our habit patterns and, and addictions and that kind of stuff. So just, just so you will know, like if that's you, um, there's a couple of things that I want you to be thinking about preparing for as the service ends, and one is that you may be lost. Um, the truth of the matter is that you, you just may not have ever had your soul, your spirit regenerated by the power of Jesus Christ. Um, coming, coming to church does not mean you're a Christian. Having even a right relationship with the church roles doesn't give you a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And I grew up on the saying, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. It's, it's the, those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. It'd be nice if they did. But the truth is, there is a visible church, that's this. There's an invisible church, that is those who have been regenerated, who are no longer stone inside, but now living water, a spring of living water. Um, it, is, it is pretty stunning to me and impressive to me how often... I meet people who have been in church for a long time, and you ask about the regeneration of what happened, what has Christ done for you, and they tell the story, and it never involves that tipping point. It never involves the lost to found moment, the dead to alive moment, the, the stone to water moment. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't involve that, and always, it always concerns me. It doesn't mean that you have to know exactly what second it happened. It, it happened when Jesus chose you before the beginning of time, but it's a, that, but the idea that you're, you would not experience that may mean you are lost. And if your life doesn't indicate otherwise, that's one of the two options that may be going on is that you're just lost. You just don't, you just don't know Jesus. And, and I hope today, in the, as we talk through this passage, that will change for you. Your heart will, this isn't meant to create some kind of weird fear for you. If you've, if you've put your faith in Christ, you don't need to be paranoid or worried or anxious about that. Rest in that. If you have not, don't rest in that. Um, that's dangerous. Second, it may just be that even though you are regenerated, even though you are a believer, you're stuck in a rut. That you've gotten stuck in a pattern of behavior in, an, in, in the addictive tendencies, the, the flesh that you feed so regularly um, because you feed it is still very strong because you don't walk away from the things that feed the flesh. The flesh is very, very powerful in your life. Um, and so it may just be that you may be a, a born again believer, but who has never moved away from that, from that moment of transition. You've crossed the stream and then you set up camp right there. Um, and there's no need for that. 
for us to be able to, to walk forward into to living out the life of being a Christian, of following Christ. The law of undulation takes hold on all of us, the ups and the downs. But sometimes it seems like we don't get very far week after week after week before we're back where we started. Um, you may need mentoring or, or discipling or a therapeutic relationship with another believer who cares about you and who is following Christ. You may need that. And all of us need those things in our life. You may be stuck and, and, and not have ever done that. And so the truth is that what may be crippling you is pride, the pride of acknowledging that you need help, that you need help from other believers, that we need help from God's Spirit. You may need that. And we do a lot of things in the church, some of which are partnering with the state and things like that, ordination, licensure, that kind of stuff. But maybe most biblically is the concept of commissioning, that we would say we we are recognizing certain people as prepared for certain ministries. And so today we're going to be commissioning um, a new batch of Stephen ministers, um, a group of people who have uh, stepped up. So often we're going to, we're going to see uh, in this passage as well, and in the song, one of the songs we just sang, how often God calls us back to where we were hurt in order to minister. In the way we were hurt, he calls us to minister there so often. Um, that's, that's common. Stephen ministry is named for Stephen, one of the original seven set aside by the apostles that as they were teaching and ministering and realized we really need to be spending more time teaching. We hung out with Jesus for three years. We need to be focusing our attention on passing along his words. Well, we need some other people to step up and serve in new ways. That's what this ministry is named for. Founded in um, 1975, well over a million people, maybe a million and a half people have been ministered to under the Stephen ministry model around the world, multiple countries, multiple places. Um, it is, it's, a, it's a lot of work. Um, their, their extensive training is about being caretakers and shepherds. Um, they, they partner with other ministers and other ministries as well. So having completed the Stephen ministry during these last five months, these nine people are being commissioned as Stephen ministers and will have an important part in our caring ministry here at the church, as they have, as those who are already Stephen ministers have. Um, Stephen ministry provides confidential one-on-one Christian care for people experiencing challenges or crisis in their lives, the ones we all face at different times, critical illness, grief, divorce, unemployment, etc. The same things we all face. Well, they're they're here to talk with us. Um, so I'm going to call them forward if they happen to be here. I think every one of them were here for the first service. If however many of you guys are here for this service, is great. We'll recognize. So Pat Harrelson, Angie Russell, Marilyn Terry, Amanda Weisenhunt, Natalie Witt, Esmeralda Williams, Michael Williams, I. Kim Willis, Michael Willis. If you guys would come forward. So these guys have gone through many, many hours and months of training to prepare them for this. Um, they're not licensed professional counselors. They are shepherds and people who come alongside um, to care, to face the things with us. So often, by the way, they love to partner um, in a relationship with someone who's going through something they've been through, just like we talked about. The very place where they've been hurt is where they're called back to minister. So, um, do you guys agree to accept the assignment of caregiver and care faithfully for people, attend monthly supervision meetings, maintain confidentiality at all times, and promote the ongoing strength and effectiveness of our Stephen ministry? Good. Church, will you agree to support and pray for our Stephen ministers? Okay, good. Our best and strongest ministries at South Spring, as you hear me say week after week, are those envisioned and created by lay leaders. The role of staff, rather than to run everything, is to equip and encourage and support those ministries and the saints um, who run them. Um, Shelly Judd, who is the champion of this ministry, has been and continues to be, will give each of these people um, their new name badge, 
So while the rest of us have our sticky name tags on Sunday morning, Stephen Ministers have a special name tag. Actually, they got them first service. They're probably all wearing them. Um, to, to show, like if you're, if you're here on Sunday morning or on Wednesday or whenever, and you're going, man, it's just been hard. Well, they're probably a good person to stop and start that conversation with. Um, so you can spot them easily. Um, she's going to give them a, a quick scripture reference book. Um, and we gave them a certificate. And, uh, and so they are prepared to do that. So we commission them, and I want to pray over them um, uh, moving forward. Father, thank you so much for this ministry. Um, thank you for these ministers. Thank you that this is a church that has the mindset that every member is a minister. That every one of us has multiple ways that we're involved in the work of your kingdom. That we are praying that you would send harvesters. And we are praying that you would help us to live life as harvesters. God, we pray that you would fulfill these prayers and you would sometimes use us to answer other people's prayers. God, your word tells us that you love to comfort us and that one of those reasons is so that we can comfort each other. And I, I pray that as you have comforted these, that they will be able to comfort others as well. Um, I pray that you would provide them with safety um, for their hearts and souls, for healthy boundaries, for protection from the evil one, um, and that you would make sure that this ministry for them is never infected with pride. And we pray these in your son's magnificent name. Amen. I mean, thank you guys. All right. So again, another example of this, we sang a song there at the end that's, that the, the blessing wrapped within it is called St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's when, he, when we sang the song saying before me and behind me and above me and below me and, and all those different things. Um, one of my favorite um, book series is by a guy named Stephen Lawhead who wrote a book called The Pendragon Cycle. And uh, in The Pendragon Cycle, it's a retelling of the King Arthur legend. And he uses this, this model, this, this prayer shows up over and over again, this Gaelic prayer of, of Jisoo before you and Jisoo behind you and above you and below your feet and in your shield arm and in your sword arm and, and in your eyes and the eyes of those who see you and in your mouth and the mouth of those who speak to you. And this, this idea, but, but if you know anything about Patrick, his story, which uh, I could spend a whole time talking about him, but I'm not going to, um, Patrick's story is, is fantastic to read about and to see what he did in a time when so many in the church were turning inward and, and there was so much infighting going on and so much um, controversy and all that kind of stuff. People were looking in and it was all a big power struggle within the church. It was a, probably the darkest time of the church yet. And, and yet what some people were doing, like Patrick, was saying, no, no, I have a calling from God that transcends the mere calling of the church. Church, small c church. And so him saying, like, I, I, God has called me. So what you may not know is that Patrick lived in, for years of his life enslaved and abused by the Irish people. That that's where he was for all those years. And in that time, he learned the language. And, and while being enslaved and learning that language, he then escaped slavery, went and joined the church, got trained to be a minister, his goal the entire time, to go back to Ireland and lead them to Christ. Now, the church forbade it. They said he could not go back, so he went anyway. That's how you know a minister sometimes. So he goes anyway, and the entire island essentially was converted to Jesus Christ under his leadership. That, that, that story continues to impact Ireland to this day, as the rest of the Western world has accepted abortion as just a given at least since the 1960s and 70s. Ireland did not fall into that way of thinking until last week. Decades longer because of the influence of a man like this who led them to that place 
Um, and now we can grieve and mourn the last, the last Western nation to fall under the weight of um, convenience, taking life for convenience. But man, what a huge impact that this man had. A great person to study, great person to look into. Read a, read a biography on him. He'll challenge you. When we pray that, the gospel often, when we face the challenges of life, often the gospel can overwhelm us in those. It can overwhelm our fear. It can overwhelm even our resentment. And it can overwhelm our unforgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful things. As you deal with the question of forgiveness throughout your life, the more you wrestle with it, the more powerful a miracle you realize the ability for humans to forgive is. And the more you face, the, de- the deeper it hits us. And we're about to read about a woman who just, we studied her, we've been studying her for three weeks, and how fun, by the way, to study this woman for, for almost a month, to learn more about her and get to know her a little more. I- I've-, I've really enjoyed getting to know her like this. And, and realizing, which I had not made this point in the past, had not noticed before, is that the very people that we suppose that she is trying to avoid at the very beginning of chapter 4, that she hates them, she resents them, she fears them, she whatever, if that's correct, and that's why she's at the, at the well at midday, at noon, rather than in the evening or morning when she probably should be, is there to avoid the despicable, the, 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 how much they despise her and how much they, they hate her and look down on her. And instead, at the end of this chapter, we now have her going back to them to give them the good news. The very people who abused her and probably mistreated her, sometimes maybe even justified, she goes back. I think that's powerful as we see this. John 4, 28. So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So I will start here. And for especially for people who are really wrestling with the Spirit or who have a scoffing spirit or whatever, I like to make this point a point like this early on. Listen up. There is a theme in the book of John about the things we leave behind. We're going to see it numerous times. The things we leave behind. You may be somewhere or in something right now that what you need to do more than anything else is leave it behind and walk away. Now you know this isn't healthy. You know this isn't right. You know this is infected by sin. And you need to walk away. You need to leave the water pot behind. You need to leave... Um, the coat behind, all the, the different things we're going to see that as people walk away from things, it may be that there's a pride in you or a pain in you or, or, or a resentment in you or just bad decisions that you're making that you need to say, you know what, it's time to leave that behind and walk away. And, and I will tell you, this is a church. Some of you have done this. This is a church that will come alongside you if you let us know. If you say, I've got to get away, I've got to walk away, can you help me? We will. That's part of the calling, that we will come alongside people who need to walk away. Um, this, is, this is powerful. Like, in my opinion, like, in many ways, if, if I was a different kind of preacher, I would just say, like, okay, and now we'll stop and have an altar call, and you can all, all of you who need to walk away and leave something can come here. What I will tell you is I want to take a moment and pray. Um, I want to pray for you and pray for me. This is all of us are called to this. I know I'm camping here for a second, but I, I, I want to make this point. So there's, there's a provision for the flesh in your life. There's an unhealthy relationship or an addiction or whatever it is, and you, you may need to get rid of that. It may be hard. It may be an issue of pride. It may be tough to walk away from some of these things. Um, 
And, and by the way, I'm not talking about your marriage. Almost certainly, um, with a few exceptions, I'm, I would never be talking about walking away from a marriage. I'm talking about maybe walking away from something short of that. Maybe from walking away from an unhealthy relationship like that. Sure, all of that kind of stuff. It may need you to walk away from yourself and your pride. Um, all of us need to do that. So whatever it is, whatever you need to, when, when, when the Apostle Paul says to make no provision for the flesh, if we feed our flesh, it begins to rule. And so we have to cut ties with that flesh. So again, maybe it's a person. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe there's something you need to get out of your house. If I'm trying to lose weight, I don't store little Debbies in the house. That's a bad idea. I can tell myself, no, no, I'm just, just going to put them over here. I mean, Ginger can hide them in her closet. I will find them. I, I just, I have a radar for them. I can, I can, it's, is it, is it going to be maybe embarrassing for you? Or are you going to have to eat some crow to admit you've made a huge mistake? You might. Is it going to be embarrassing? Listen, every time. This week, downloading music for the fireworks that we're going to have in a few days. I have to download music off iTunes. And every time I did, I have to hand my phone to somebody and say, hey, could you type in my password so I can download music for the church event where I'm the pastor because I can't be trusted with a password? Because I don't trust myself with those passwords. That may be you too. That may be the very thing that you need to walk away from is a provision for the flesh. You just don't want to have to mess with that so you cut ties there. Whatever it is. Let me pray for us. Father, you know every single heart in the room. You know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what they need to walk away from. Lord, I pray for each of us, myself and everyone here, that you would give us the courage to leave the water skin behind, to leave whatever it is behind, and to get up and to go where you send us. God, I, I pray that for each of us, that we would walk away in order to find you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, next. Man, that was not, that, I didn't even get to this passage yet. But So then you get this little mini lesson with his disciples. Um, the theme for evangelism here is going to be share what you've got. Um, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, say, Rabbi, eat. You know what's coming, by the way. Jesus is about to have a conversation with his disciples, which means it's going to be funny. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him to eat, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have a food that you do not know, you know nothing about, you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? There you go, right? If they're always funniest when they huddle up. Jesus, Jesus says, like, no, I have a food that you know nothing about. And they go, all right. Do you think, do you think somebody else brought him food? Like, maybe that lady brought him food. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Okay, we're going to go with someone else brought him food. Ready? Break. Okay, what else you got for it? Like, they never have any idea. This is just like Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel who has no idea that he's talking about something spiritual. They think he's talking about something physical. The woman at the well doesn't understand that he's talking about something spiritual. She thinks he's still talking about water. And, and the disciples think he's talking about food. Understand, this teaching here that Jesus is giving us and is going to give us over and over again is this. It isn't food. And it isn't water. And it isn't going to be any of the other things that we think it is that we think we need. That isn't going to be it. It's going to be the spiritual truth that we really need. If we could wrap our, 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 our puny little human brains around the concept that the spiritual is more real than the physical, we would experience who knows what. 
If we could really wrap our brains around that, <clears throat> that the things that are physical are less real. They don't, they don't seem to be getting this, and neither do it. This, this is so us. They are more foundational than physical life. The spiritual world, the spiritual life is more real than our bank account. It's more real than our bank account, which <laughs> honestly, for most of us, is, is actually an electronic representation of pieces of paper anyway. You don't even want to think about that. What, are, what we think we're, we're, we're trusting in and counting on. But instead to, say, instead to say that this is more real than that. It is more real than our house or our cars. It is more real than our vacations. It's more real than anything we have here on earth. It is more real than our sports, even our kids' sports. I know. It is more real than our health. It is more real than our technology. It is more real than all of it. This here, this is the shadow version. The book of Hebrews says that even the temple that was in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus was nothing more than a shadow of the spiritual reality. We've got to wrap our brains around that. We don't get it, and we have no intuition for it. It is purely this, this we, we want it to be about the things we want it to be about. And he's saying, no, no. <clears throat> with, with apologies to Stephen Furtick. I watched a few minutes of one of his sermons this weekend. By boy, he's an active preacher. You ever watch him? He's, man, he's jumping up and down off the stage. I'd probably, I'd probably have more of a gut like his if I would do more of those moves, like more of the jump down, jump back up. So he has none, by the way. Like, anyway, so, so at one point, he makes this great point. He asks the question, what are you thirsty for? What are you hungry for? Jesus is going to mention this. He, he talks about, which was a great question. Here's, the, here's how he meddled. Ready for this? He said, here's how you know what you're thirsty for when you wake up in the morning. What do you reach for immediately? Do you jump straight onto your social media to see how many checks and emojis and, and likes and, and whatever that you got? Is that what you're thirsty for first thing in the morning is the approval of other people? Ouch. He, he, this is, this is what are we thirsty for is revealed by our life. What we believe in, what we worship is revealed in our lives. That's pretty significant. We want the reality. The food Jesus says he has is doing the will of God in accomplishing his work. I love this. Jesus uses the word teleos, uh, meaning to finish, to end, to execute, to complete, fulfill. He says, this is why I'm here. This is my food. My food is to be able to say someday it is finished which is the exact word he uses in John 19.30 when he says, it is finished. I have accomplished it. It's done. That's, that's why Jesus said that doing the will of what God had called him to do was more important than food. Job 23.12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. That's Job, who, if anyone has struggled, Job 23.12. How about Matthew 5.6? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Are those showing up? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, not just food, not just water. These analogies that he's using of the spiritual world to teach us about, the analogy, using the physical world to teach us about the spiritual world. Where do we get that food? Jesus' answer is obvious. It comes from being a harvester. Well, that makes sense. Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? 
This is, this is significant. If you've never engaged with the idea of the world being like a field that's ready for harvest, then this is going to make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this thought. I don't like the thought of people being that there's, there's hordes of lost people ready to be harvested if someone will just do it. I don't like that thought. I want the people who I engage with during the week, <clears throat> retailers and, and, and servers and, and friends. And who, I, I like the thought of them just being people. I don't like the thought of them being lost, harvest. And by the way, in Israel, the harvest only lasts a few weeks. And they, they're in a big hurry to harvest because they only have a few weeks to harvest and then everything they don't harvest dies on the vine. And the thought of, of thinking, man, that this is a whole world in need. There's, there's a lot of people out there who need to be engaged with, who need to be harvested. Or the other analogy Jesus uses with the, these same men, that they would be fishers of men that caught. I don't like that thought. I don't want to have to think about that when I'm engaging with people, that they may be a lost person who needs to hear. I don't want to think about that. That's too, that's too disruptive for my life. That would make things too many things change for me. So I, I pray that for all of us, that we would, in fact, live that way, um, that our life would not be about us and our convenience in regards to that. Um, I'm, I, I don't like it, but it's there. It's right there. It's unavoidable. Jesus is going to use that. He says, <clears throat> are there not four months and then comes harvest? He, he literally, this is key. This is, this is, this is kind of a, a pivotal moment here. Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's talking to them, and you can imagine them. Um, um, they're thinking hard or they're feeling ashamed or they're whatever it is that they do when they're confused by Jesus and they're all, they're all kind of heads are down or whatever. And Jesus says, you say four months and then comes the harvest. He probably means literally like harvest is in about April, that this is January, that, that this, this moment in scripture is happening during the month of January. That's, which is kind of cool. It can anchor it in real time for you that you can imagine it. And so Jesus is sitting with them. It's January, which is, which can be hot over there. And he says, um, you think it's four months till harvest, don't you? You're thinking to yourself, no, no, it's four months till harvest. And Jesus, you think it's four months till harvest, don't you? Look up. You can't see that the fields are white now. That's what he's saying. No, no, look up. Lift up your eyes. Look and see. Can't you see it? They're lost now. They need the harvest now. They need us now. Not in a few months. You're thinking the harvest is in four months, and I'm telling you it's now. I think for Jesus it's been now for 2,000 years. And, and we've inherited this harvesting role from generation to generation to generation of Christians. That's one of our main jobs is to be engaged in this. He's the same concept when he sent out the 72. Listen, in Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and placed them where he was about to go. And he said to them, <clears throat> places where they're about to, where he was about to go, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send harbor, laborers into his harvest. This has been us. And how far along in the process has been going on? Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, verse 36, and gathering fruit for eternal life. This is ongoing right now. If you're not engaged in this, it's passing you by. You're, we're, we're missing out if we're not engaged in this. Just today, today, I got to meet who were visiting our church, church planters who have a church in Arizona, um, specifically to Filipino people in Arizona. 
How about that? Filipino people from the Philippines go to Arizona to set up a church for Filipino people in Arizona. And they've been there for three years now as a church plant. I got to meet a pastor who's leaving Tyler to head to Georgia at a new church with his family. He's going for the harvest. We're going to pray for Royal Family Kids Camp, um, a ministry that works with kids who are so hurting that when they get a blanket in the middle of the summer, they wrap up in it the entire time they're there just so they can have something to themselves. They have, we have about 80 people, many of you, first service, who are working with children this morning. They are the harvest, and it is white. Getting to hear from white than the harvest just means needs to be harvested now. It's on its way out. It is, ready. It is at the, the last opportunity to harvest now. That's the time. Um, Doug got to share with me this morning about how, how real this is, how much this in, in affects our lives. Doug, a foreman who does um, Lyft driving, kind of like Uber stuff, and, and, and just yesterday got to lead a couple to Christ through that ministry opportunity, that it is, it's part of everything we're doing. And by the way, here's a cool thing. Listen to this in verse 36. Um, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so sower and reaper may rejoice together. You ever imagine that? Um, that's, that's a great picture. I don't want you to miss out on this. I, I love you guys, and I don't want you to miss out on the eternal rewards of engaging with the kingdom of God on earth, to be involved in that. I don't want you to miss that. You can, by the way, um, down to verse, uh, first, first Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. I may be skipping a verse there, sorry. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only as if through fire. You don't want to get to heaven smelling like smoke. You want some things to get there with you. You want, you want to be involved in that, not because you're not in heaven. I mean, listen, heaven... Awesome, no matter what, what the situation is. But, but what a great opportunity to be involved in this. I, had, I was reading through this for the first time. I had an image of, of, the, of the, the sowers, Moses, Elijah, um, the prophets, the teachers of the law, the disciples, the, the early Christians, the martyrs, people like Stephen, the first man to be martyred for the Christian cause. Like All these different people, all of a sudden, judgment... The, 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 the Bema seat, when, when Jesus sits on there and he begins to call out the, the amazing things that Christians have done, it, it suddenly struck me like, apparently, there's going to be these two people there, and, and God's going to say, like, well, how did you hear about me? And they're going to say, like, hey, some guy who drove a car named Doug. And he's, Doug, Doug, are you here? Doug, and, and Doug's going to be out there in this massive crowd and go, like, yeah, I'm back here. And so you were involved in this, like, yeah, and we'll come forward. Well, the reason it's going to take so long is because Moses and Elijah and all the prophets and the people who wrote the gospel and all the people invested in Doug's life are all going to line up like an upward soccer game. Like, they're going to be like this as Doug comes running through. Y'all, no one's responding to this. You ever done this? The big victory tunnel thing that ever? Yes? Am I just missing this? Like, anybody ever experienced the? Okay, okay, good. Man, okay, so like this high five and Doug as he's running down there. I mean, we're talking about millions of people as Doug's running to the front of the room to celebrate. And we got to do that with everybody as Reaper and sower celebrate together. You want to be a part of that? I do. And I want you to be. The, the, the ministry we have would be lived out. It's, it's just a great passage. Never notice the phrase, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together before. For the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you enter into their labor. That's a, that's a, a, a 
a cool picture that all these other people who have been engaged in it. This in the Bible, as we see, look, look at um, Joshua 2, 24, 13. This idea of, of reaping where you didn't sow is a sign of God's blessing, even of conquest, by the way. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards you did not plant. That's what he's talking about. We get to do that. We get to be involved in that. You don't have to be on church staff or ordained or licensed or even commissioned. We are commissioned. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the great commission is upon us for all of us that we would live this out. What is our payment? Things aren't forever. Prestige isn't forever. Power on earth is not forever. None of these things are forever, but people are forever. That's the payment that we get for engaging is people forever. Um, Okay, so verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So now you've you've got a picture. Um, So he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said we believe. We've now heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Wow. So again, picture Jesus sitting with the twelve. At this well, the woman has left. She left the water pot. So they're probably eating the food that they bought. And they're drinking the water. From, fortunately, she left that. And while he's talking about the harvest, which is exactly the way I think this happened, as he's teaching them, and they're sitting there, again, maybe with their heads down, maybe, maybe as they're thinking, because they're all exhausted just like Jesus is. And at some point, Jesus says, you think the harvest is in four months. Meanwhile, a crowd of people are coming from the town. You can see the cloud of dust rising from all of these Samaritans coming maybe from Sychar, from the, from the town where they are, coming towards Jesus, coming out towards this well. And Jesus does that thing. He's, look up, look up, look up with your eyes, lift up your eyes. They're right there. This crowd of people is walking out towards them in the dust. And Jesus goes, look, there's a harvest right there. That would be us as we drive out of this place. There's a harvest right there. At, at, at each one of these places, at, as, you, as you drive around, there's a harvest. We should, hopefully we see that. We learn to see this harvest. What a great picture. This testimony theme. Jesus gives them a testimony. The woman gave them a testimony. This is evangelism training. Here we go. Evangelism training right now. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. There you go. That's all the evangelism training that you need. That's all we need to be doing. We tell Jesus what Jesus we tell people what Jesus has done for us. And when we talk about what Jesus has done for us, <clears throat> they either listen or they don't. They they care or they don't. They they engage or they don't. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be open and free to talk about what God has done in our lives and what he is doing in our lives, even when our lives seem to kind of stink. To talk about his faithfulness in the midst of that. That's it. So Jesus stays two days. Remember how exhausted Jesus was? He was so exhausted. He was so tired. He was so worn out. The disciples don't know what's happened to him. So what does he do? He stays two days. You got to know, 24-hour days almost, ministering to these people. Jesus then hosts a conference. The first two-day retreat begins in Christian history right here. He holds a retreat for them, which means that the teacher of the retreat is exhausted at the end of the retreat. It's not much of a retreat for those who are ministering. It's a good thing he's a savior of the world and they catch on to this. You got to think that they were surprised by that because they expected him to be a savior of the Jews. 
Even they may have thought that, but no, no. So John wants you to hear in this language that exactly what, he's, what he's, Jesus told or John told in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. It's happening. He sent his son. He loved the world enough to send his son. After two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all he had done in Jerusalem for the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Just to help you understand that, it tells us in John 2 that when Jesus was in the feast, he performed miracles in Jerusalem. Well, the good thing about performing miracles in Jerusalem during a feast is that all of Israel goes to Jerusalem during the feast. So people from Galilee were there and saw it, experienced it, saw what he was doing, heard his teaching, and then they hear it, and they go back to Galilee, and they start telling people. They have to think he's not coming there. I mean, Galilee is backwater. Jesus is now kind of big time. So he's going to go to this podunk community of Galilee where the, where the kind of the farmers, the, the, the country boys and, and, and the country girls live. And so that's where he's going to, they don't think he's probably going to show up there. And he does. Why? Well, because he's no longer welcome in Judea. And the only other place to go would be to Nazareth that would make sense, his hometown. But the debacle in Nazareth has probably already happened where his own hometown people reject him and try to kill him. So he goes to Galilee. And the Galileans are going to get to experience some of the most amazing things that we've ever seen in human history. Jesus is going to perform miracles and teach things that have been the most foundational teachings in all of history, like the Sermon on the Mount, is going to happen in Galilee. He's going to, all the things you think about with Jesus that come to your mind immediately, most of them happen in Galilee rather than Nazareth. So Jesus, Jesus goes and they, they, his reputation heads before him. They start gathering in massive crowds pretty much day one. And um, we're going to keep reading through and moving through some of the people Jesus runs into. And sure enough, not surprisingly, these people respond just like the Samaritans did. We need, to, we need to get from him. We know we need help. We need help. Every place Jesus goes all over Israel, but especially in Galilee, he runs into demon-possessed people. Every town had openly demon-possessed people that everyone knew about. That's weird. And so, but that's how dark this land had become. And so Jesus is going to engage with them one after another, after another, town after town. He's going to go to, it says, essentially every synagogue in, in this whole area. Would we get to see some of that? It's, it's incredible. They want help. They want support. They want life. They know they're thirsty. They know they're hungry. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to talk with them about the same things he's been talking with everybody else about, the bread of life for example. And they're going to be confused just like we are as he tries to give a spiritual truth with a physical analogy. But that's us. Look at our lives. Think about your life. There is a spiritual truth that transcends your physical reality that's more important that you're either investing in or you're not. And, and our lives have got to switch focus. Take our eyes off this as what we rely on and instead put it here. If you're lost for the first time to do that will be something we would love to celebrate with you. If you've never ever done that in your life, if you have and it's time for you to refocus, man, that's awesome. We'd love to pray with you about that. This is, this is what we're called to. What are we seeking? What do we need? What is our food? What is our water? Where are we placing our hope? What are we serving? What are we worshiping? What is our purpose? Who are we working for? Those are things that we need to ask ourselves today. The application is going to be very individual. It's going to be the answer to those type of questions. Let me pray.
Father, we're so grateful for the work that you are doing in our hearts and our lives. We're so grateful that you're willing to come and to seek us. God, I thank you that your spirit can lead us to seek you. I pray, Lord, that you would, um, that you would speak to us today through the power of your spirit. That your spirit would speak to ours. That the, the truth of the spiritual life would become the main one for us. And anything detracts from that would not steal us from that. And I pray that investing in people, in eternal people, in your word, in your church, the things that last forever would be where we would focus our attention. And we would love the unlovable and we would welcome the unwelcome and we would, we would reach out to people recognizing that they're ready and you would guide us that we would have the courage to tell people what you've done for us and to pray for people and to love people. Um, God, I'm proud of this church for so many ways that we do that, that we invest so much in the lives of young people and in children and in each other and in our community, and I pray that you would just multiply that and magnify that. And God, the things that are holding us back from that, the things that we know, that we know are infected by sin, the relationships that we know do not honor you. God, I pray that those would be the water pot that we leave behind. We walk away from. We would not wait. We do it now. And I pray that whatever it is you have for us is what we would get from this today according to the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.